0: All right, it's Wednesday, another episode of Backlash Podcast. We uh, finally got off our butts and got a guest for this episode, so we got Noah Binsfield with Get the Net Guide Service. He's a river musky fisherman, so if you're into rivers and you're looking to pick up some tips on how to catch fish on rivers, Noah's certain to do that. And if you're just generally interested in rivers, this is going to be the episode for you. I'm Jeff with Team Rhino Outdoors, and if you want to check us out, we sell tons of stuff to gear you up for the next season or if you're still out lucky enough to be fish you know musky fishing now well that's awesome as well check out team rhino outdoors.com where your source for custom musky gear or any musky gear for that matter and we have brad and Kerry hoppy with musky mayhem tackle and if you want to check out their website visit muskymayhemtackle.com does somebody want to talk about musky mayhem tackle
1: yeah let's do it you know uh we're the original big bladed flashy boo baits and we're super proud of that been around for well it's coming up on 16 years actually jeff so you know we've been around a long time and uh we're very proud of being the originators we totally appreciate our customers you can check us out not only on on the web but also on facebook instagram as well as youtube and you can also check out my instagram page uh MuskyMayhemGuideService uh, not dot sorry that's Instagram so check me out there but uh, we appreciate everybody and I'm ready to do this uh, this whole podcast
0: that's it nothing else we need to talk about this week is there where is there
1: no, no sh- we, you know we, we got a couple new baits that came out this season and without the shows I mean it's kind of a weird year you know so we have the uh, the new trigger seven nine trigger. And we also have the new detonator, the 1310 detonator. Both baits were incredible this past season while we prototyped them and fished them. And uh, I would tell everybody, come take a look at them on our uh, website. And I know eventually here I'm in the process of editing a bunch of video stuff. You're going to be able to see them on YouTube shortly. Looking forward to this new season.
0: I know we talk about that YouTube stuff every week and I promise someday it's actually going to happen. I know we do it every week. We promise that we're going to get something out or we tease that we're going to get something out, but we actually are. It's coming. I know Brad's is coming. I think it was, uh, I don't know what time was that last night, 11 o'clock at night. You're showing me this video, Brad.
1: I was, you know, it's crazy. I have a guy that normally would do my editing. He's been struggling with some different stuff in his personal life. So, Guess what? I'm up. So (laughs) I spent a bunch of time again this evening editing number two. And I'm hoping that uh, here in the near future, we can start putting them out. I I really want to do it in a normal consistency so that people have something to look forward to. And it's going to happen. It's just that uh, I'm not the speediest at this whole editing thing.
0: Well, I don't think people realize how much time it actually takes to get that editing thing together. I'm not the speediest or the best. But I can still manage, but it definitely takes a lot of bit of, it takes a lot of time. That's why I haven't done it. I mean, I, Brad, you know what you know what's been going on with me for the last week or so, So time's been a little bit short for the last week. I don't have any excuses for the previous four months, but you know whatever
1: uh, it, it's a challenge, Jeff. and I know you in your personal life, you've had uh, you've been kind of tugged in several different directions. so you know and and that's part of the gig here. But, uh, being a small business owner, you do what you can do and you just keep pounding away and chipping away at it until it, it comes, uh, becomes reality.
0: That's a fact. Well, I don't have anything to add on here. If you're looking for musky gear, like I said before, check out our website, Team Rhino Outdoors. And I think we should go talk to Noah about some river muskies.
1: Let's get it done.
0: All right. Our guest tonight is Noah Binsfield. Get the net guide service and get the net tackle. And for people that don't know Noah, he's a river rat in Northern Minnesota, I believe it is. And one of the coolest adventures for people that don't know, we, we did this adventure with Noah probably in like 2019. I think we have two episodes on YouTube, river Muskie one, river Muskie two, or something like that. And, uh, it's just a really cool deal with Noah. He, you're camping and, you know, in this wilderness river type setting and, there's big muskies there, there's little muskies there, and it's uh it's just a really cool deal. So with that being said, Noah, thanks for taking some time out and, and talking fishing with us. I know we've been trying to work this out for almost since we started this podcast. So it's cool that we finally got this to work out.
2: Yeah, I'm happy to be here. Should be exciting. Absolutely. To talk about whatever whatever you guys want to talk about. I'm I'm game for that.
0: Well, the first thing we want to talk about is your background, you know, your first time on the podcast and, you know, just give the listeners an idea of kind of like what got you into the muskie deal. Most of us musky nuts, we didn't just jump in and, and do the, the musky thing right off the bat. So maybe talk a little bit about kind of just, you know, what got you started in fishing and then where it took the, the bad turn or wh- where your life went bad and, and you went muskies.
2: Yeah, I grew up with grandparents. Um, my dad we fished all the time, did hunting. Um, it's always been a part of my life. I was lucky enough to grow up uh, near the Mississippi River, and I do spend a lot of time there and a, a lot of time on some other rivers around the state. But it's it's been a blast. I, I got into muskies. I have a my dad's good buddy was a muskie nut. And all I remember is growing up, Going to his house, he fished a lot back in the very early days of it. And seeing his pictures, um, the mouse on the wall, you know, after so long, I just, I I got curious about it. So I asked him if I could borrow one of his setups Um, years ago. And I went to Lake Chamonix, first time ever fishing, about 10 minutes into the day, had Maybe a mid thirties fish smoke a Cisco Kid topwater. The sight of that was pretty much the end of it. That's all it took was that one fish and I didn't didn't really care to chase anything else at that time.
0: I think that seems to be the story of a lot of muskie guys. Pretty much whenever they decide to start chasing muskies, that's the end of it. And they don't want to fish for anything else. I think it's because I've never gotten I've never caught a bass that gave me, you know, nearly the adrenaline rush that a muskie does even if you catch a 38 35 inch muskie you know those are all still exciting fish so that's super cool how that worked out for you you know let's talk a little bit about the guide service when did you get that rolling
2: you know i've been guiding for i would have to say a solid 15 years now i was pretty young when i started but i didn't have a lot of clients back then i didn't it was just kind of few trips a year and then you know it kind of ballooned um in 2015 I went to my first expo down in Minnesota and ever since then it's it's really became my passion and I'm pretty much doing it full-time now uh, I, I guide rivers I, I do very few lake trips I have some clients that do like me to take them to some lakes but the rivers where my heart's at is. There's just nothing like the river in my opinion. It changes daily, basically. You never you can't script out a season by what you did last season. Every year is constantly changing and different and that's I think that's what I like about it the most. I think it makes me a better angler to always have to adjust to the circumstances.
1: So no, you know, what kind of got you into fishing to begin with? I mean, were you, what What other species? I know you're talking about bass. You've spent a ton of time on the river. I'm just curious, you know, what led you to this whole deal then? I, I would say, you know, I fished a lot of panfish growing up with my
2: grandpa. And I always loved that. And then I got into the bass fishing, and I I love bass fishing. To this day, I still still enjoy it, but there's just nothing like, you know, the experience you get from a muskie. And um, I do love walleye fishing in the in the winters. Walleyes, like, my favorite thing to go after. Early spring before muskies, it's all walleyes. My dad's a big walleye guy. But yeah, I would have to say my grandpa was probably the biggest influence in me fishing. He always had the time to take me out. Always taught me, you know, it wasn't about... What he kept her the biggest. It was just the time he spent on the water.
1: Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's kind of a common deal. You know, I mean, you think about it. I fished with my grandparents. I fished with my dad. I would say my dad wasn't really a great angler by any means or fashion or form, but you know, it's what put me where I am today. You know, he he kind of embedded. He built the foundation or whatever that kind of put me into the sport.
2: Yeah, and my dad is pretty much he's a river rat too i mean he loves going out there he's a big smallmouth bass fisherman and the times that i would have to say he's why i fish the river is all the times i went out there it's it's so different than a lake it's it's hard to describe you know it's peaceful there's a lot of stretches where there's no houses there's nothing but farmland trees nature and fish you know it's just it's an amazing body of water I just, yeah, I love the river. I, I do love lakes too, but there's just nothing like going out on the river. And my dad has got to be my biggest influence for being a river fisherman. With my grandpa, it was always lake. My dad, dad used to shore fish with me on the river where I fish now. And it's
1: just those memories that I think make it so fun that's what it's all about. I mean, we all have roots somewhere in the fishing world that kind of get you to the next level. And it's amazing, you know, not everybody's a musky fisherman, but it's a special breed, if you will. And I think um, all of those other species kind of lead up to us becoming musky fishermen and not only fishing, but I think a lot of archery hunters also kind of slip into this whole realm. So let's shift gears and let's talk about what you're running on the river for a boat. I mean, you know, depending on where, what kind of water you're fishing on the rivers um, kind of depends on what kind of boat you're running. Let's talk about that briefly.
2: Yeah, I run a, I got a 18 foot flat bottom with a jet motor on it. I typically spend most of my time fishing shallower stretches. There are a few areas you guys can get bigger boats. Um, up above the dams, there's you know, deeper reservoir type situations. I typically don't spend a lot of time in those areas because they're very populated with houses, very busy with boat traffic and recreation. And I I try to get off the grid, you know, and you definitely need a flat bottom boat. There are some guys that'll run prop boats and there are some areas you can get away with running bigger boats if, if you know where you're going. But most most of my stuff, you know, a lot of the runs, if it gets shallow, I'm I'm running through six, eight inches of water. So without a jet boat, you're you're just not getting to all the areas you can.
1: Are you typically running from uh, down river to up river, and then working your way back, or how how do you normally? What's your normal day look like?
2: I am. You can ask Jeff this. I am all about running guns. I don't float shorelines and to me what I call uh, dead water um I I fished out there enough my strategy now is hit as many spots as you can cover as many miles as you can I'll I'll run six seven miles down river to fish one spot at a peak time and head back up river and maybe two hours later go six miles back down river to to hit that good spot again um I definitely do not just hang out below dams I i Dams do hold fish. I know that. I I am not a dam fisherman. I like to get away as far as I can from where most people are fishing. I was gonna say in the couple in the couple days that we spent on the
0: water with you. I mean, I think what do we spend below a dam? Maybe twenty minutes. And all of our action yeah. came away from a dam. So it was a. Uh, and you know, like I said, I don't want to. I can't stress this enough. Like the area that you fish has, you know, potential for every size fish that's, that swims in there. I mean, the one that Steve missed that haunts our dreams still was a super giant. I can't even tell you how big that fish was. It was unreal. I don't know. Have you ever caught that one yet, by the way? I, you know, I don't think so. (laughs) Um,
2: that was, you know, it says the stretches of river can go for miles between these dams and you can have new fish show up in an area that they, they may only be there one time a year. Um, I know when the water starts to flow, I always call it a fresh, a fresh batch of fish seems to come up from like the reservoirs. Um, and that's pretty sure what one, one that Steve had on is not like a resident fish in that area, you know, but those fish in the rivers are so nomadic. They just travel and travel and travel. Some of the telemetry studies that have been done are amazing. Um, those fish cover every mile of that river throughout the season.
0: Yeah. Brad, you remember the other night when I was telling you I couldn't sleep and I was in the shop at about four forty-five. I think it was, it wasn't everything else going on in my life. It was actually that fish that kept me awake. That thing, <laughs> it, was, it was unbelievable. Probably easily the biggest fish we would have had on film for sure. It was just.
2: Yeah. I would say that fish was pushing mid fifties. It was definitely over 50 and, and the girth on it was. I mean, yeah, that fish, I, I still feel bad for Steve. Um, I, I don't know what went wrong there because, like you said, the thing inhaled that hellhound. And uh, to not even sting it at all is just it's just amazing what can happen. It always seems to be on those big ones, too. They always find a way to win.
1: Yeah. That is hands down the truth right there. I mean, you, you do everything that you can do to make it right. And those big fish somehow elude us at different times, that's for sure. Yeah, and with river fish, I mean, some fish, they'll hold up in an area
2: for a long time. Uh, Some fish will come through, and you'll get one shot at them, and you'll never see them again. Some fish are different. Some fish do, there are some resident fish. I've got some fish I've caught, you know, 10, 11 times over the last, I don't know, 10 years and they seem to just always be in that area. And what's amazing is those fish grow, as you let them go, I've watched fish grow from 42 inches to over 50, and one of the fish in particular eats a bucktail every time. So when people talk about, oh, fish are trained to bucktails, they once they eat one, they won't eat them again. That's, I've proven that to myself, that that is not the case. Because that one fish, he's... She's big. I haven't seen her in like two years, but she's been caught on a bucktail 11 times.
1: I would agree with that totally. I mean, I, I have proof of pictures over the years. You know, they, they bite one today and it might even be similar to the same color. Even three weeks later, the same exact fish is eating it again. So, you know, it, it's all relative, right? it's uh, being in the right place at the right time and the approach is all what it really truly matters if they're hungry they're going to eat
2: yep and I think the one thing with bucktails I I think you you know they get them they can get them really angry and aggressive with the vibration that's beating on their lateral line you know so it's I, I mean a lot of times in the shallow water I'm fishing I've caught fish in a foot of water and seems like those bucktails when you're burning them by those fish it's almost like it angers them and they react to that more so than even being hungry
1: well i, I mean ultimately you know the bucktail is probably muskie's best or muskie fisherman's best uh friend ultimately i mean it's such a it's a bait that actually works throughout the whole season and um it's a great tool to have in your arsenal
2: Yes, and I have people tell me they quit using them as the water temp drops, and I'm like, you learn how to really slow roll them, which, Brad, you know all about this, with bigger blades, and I catch fish, I've caught fish in November in very cold water on bucktails yet, and people just don't believe it. Definitely a tool that, I mean, yeah. To me, it's my summer consists of basically burning bucktails, topwaters, and now with the new fly I made that's been another tool that's been it's just been a game changer when
1: things are not happening for some reason that fly is getting bit when nothing will go yeah I think I think that's interesting and I think that goes hand in hand with the river fishermen it seems like you river fishermen generally are doing some different things that maybe the lake fishermen aren't and one being a fly of some sort are you, are you actually using them and targeting them with fly equipment? No, it's a castable fly I made. I, I take a lot of fly fishermen
2: out, and seeing what those flies can do just amaze me. So it took me about three years to try to do my best to duplicate it. I didn't want to get into fly fishing. I just figured if I pick that up, I'm just uh, it's going to be an addiction. I don't need but it is amazing to watch those guys with those flies and it opened my eyes up to like you know, having a bait like that when nothing's happening, those flies just seem to always work when when the toughest days. But it's been fun. It's been a, a learning curve, but I, I got it down as good as I can. I the one thing about rivers too is I like rubber but I'm fishing so shallow most of the time are casting up into such shallow water, your typical rubber baits just don't work. They just go down too fast, and you're snagging up and hitting the bottom. And that was another reason with this fly I made it. I mean, when it lands in the water, you can run it through six, eight inches of water and keep it up, you know. so it's been a big help. Um, People are starting to catch on. There's been some really big fish caught on it. Uh, but it's just another tool, like a bucktail. You know, I, I, I don't throw it all the time, but it seems to matter the most when nothing is happening. And that fly is just so, I would say, non-intrusive to the fish. It's just natural, and, you know, I don't think it's intrusive, and it just gets that reaction bite out of them.
1: So the fly that you're making, is this something that's for sale, or is this... Um... Is something yes, that you're doing I, for your own? It is for sale. Last year I came out with it at the Wisconsin
2: Muskie Expo. Um, I was hoping to go to the shows this year, but with the COVID thing, we've all been stuck at home. So I actually have a a huge list going right now, and I'm making them. I came in tonight from the shop from making them and to do the podcast here. and um, I might want to eventually try to get them into tro and maybe some other retails but right now i'm just so busy with other things i just i i can't commit to all that yet
1: sure yeah i totally understand that you know one of the things that uh we've actually been working on something similar i I would assume i haven't seen your flies but something that i i think could really be devastating in the open water as well so i think uh you know Lake fishermen, like I said, don't necessarily really go down that pattern necessarily. But uh I think it can be viable there as well. Oh yeah.
2: I'm I'm working on a doing a like a lake edition one that's heavier for the guys that throw big rubber. Um it's actually a really big profile bait that as you rip it through the water the profile thins way down and then when it pauses it it just opens up to a big profile and I do have some lake guys that have been doing really good on my fly. A lot of them want it heavier. And right now I'm working, working on a design that still keeps the action with the added weight for guys that are fishing down deep. I, I uh-huh. hope to have that out by next summer.
1: I, I don't know if you've seen the craze over in Europe for the pike fishermen, but the the mouse that they're throwing quite a bit, they're using it for pike, obviously in Europe, but kind of the same principle.
2: Yeah, I haven't. I've seen some of that. Um, those baits, those guys are throwing over there, but I haven't. I've had a lot of my clients that throw the fly and buy the fly from me. Talk about some of the baits they have over there. I just I've never really got into looking at them.
1: So let's, let's dive in deeper to this whole river scenario. I mean, uh, you know, you've, you've talked about it. You like to be remote. You don't want to be by civilization per se. Um, are you utilizing the holes that are in the river, those natural holes that uh, seem to hold a ton of fish? Or, you know, you're talking about casting in six to eight inches of water. I'm kind of curious what the structure is that you're actually really going after. Well, it changes with the water levels. I mean, I can
2: have the water levels fluctuate seven, eight feet in a week, which totally changes the whole situation. You, you get bigger, deep eddies, and those fish, when the water is really high, they tend to congregate in those bigger eddies. But they're not always, I mean, all eddies are different. I've found, I like to have moving water in them. I don't like it just to be a big, dead eddy. I, I like to have swirling at a backflow per se that goes, you know, from the outside into the shoreline. And I mean, like you said, with the river, it, it changes so much. It can, it can raise so fast and blow itself out and get muddy and the fishing will be horrible until that stabilizes. But once it stabilizes those fish, they turn back on. The shallow water. What I've found is, if we have a normal year where we don't have a lot of rain and the river fluctuating up and down, if we have like a stable season, a lot of the deeper holes I've found are they're pretty dead in the summertime. What I've found is those fish like the shallow moving water and they like the weeds. Um, I think that moving water and the weeds create more oxygen than they have in those deep slow holes but as the season changes yeah in the winter as you get into you know late October November some of those big deep holes can stack up with an amazing amount of fish I'm um, all in kind of one area you know but they also travel a lot in the fall too so uh, a big thing I do is I chase as the water starts dropping into the 50s and 40s I like to really cover cover miles, and fish some of these shallower, deeper holes, like mid, mid-range holes, because these fish definitely travel a lot before they settle down for winter, so you can, you can catch multiple fish by covering ground instead of just staying in one deep hole, you know?
0: So, Noah, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, we're talking about these deep holes. What was your process to even go find all these different spots? I mean, how much time did Did you spend where you weren't fishing? Did you spend a lot of time driving around? Do you use your electronics like the lake guys do? Or is it, you know, or is that not as, I mean, the side imaging part of it and the advanced electronics, I would say, or is that not as important when you're trying to find these spots?
2: I don't even own electronics. Yeah. I, you know, you've been in my boat. I don't have side imaging. I don't, I have a little mini, the rant that tells me the depth.
0: I wasn't sure if maybe you upgraded since the last time I was in your boat. I know you got a new boat. It's not the same one that I was in. So I thought maybe he no. went to like a five inch color screen or something.
2: Right? <laughs> I did. I did get color. But <laughs> no, uh, you know, it was just when I was growing up I once I really started fishing the river, I just every moment I had I was out there. And I mean I covered miles. I can go up all the way up to Grand Rapids from Grand Rapids to damn near the cities. And I've been on every stretch of that river. And some years I, I go to some more than others. And um, like I said, the learning experience to me is the funnest. I love going to places I've barely fished or places I haven't fished and learning. And um, I've never been into electronics for years. I always, if I stuck my nine foot pole down and never touched bottom, that was a good spot. you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I've seen the river as dry as it can be. And I've seen it as full as it can be. So I have that mental picture of everything in my head. And I think that's why I've never gone to electronics because I've seen the bars when they're dried up and out of the water. So when the water's high, I have that mental map in my head it's pretty much why I've never gone to electronics and the way electronics are getting now, it's, you know, it's insane. So I guess if I ever got into them, I, it'd be weird, but I said I've seen the, seen the river, all the stretches so low. I just, I have that mental map and know, I know what I'm looking at. You know, a lot of my clients get kind of flustered because they don't, don't really get it or they get in my boat and say, where's your electronics? And it's like, well, I, I don't have any, <laughs> you know, I've never been that way I like to fish and not stare at a screen
0: well and I know it certainly isn't affecting your your catch rate at all that's for sure so I was just uh I was just curious you know if maybe things got a little bit different over in your in your neck of the woods it's like I said it's been a year and a half
2: I've been contemplating on it I'm sure soon I'll end up joining the club and putting a a screen in my boat but for now like I said I I just you know, love to fish and I never really needed electronics. I never, on the river, I know guys that do have them and they don't, they don't always work as good with the current. You don't get your readings that you do on lake. So I've had some guys say it's really tough on the river because if you're in fast current, it's not picking up
1: that true signal like like it does on a lake. So what kind of currents are we talking about? I mean, how strong a current are you in? Oh,
2: it's it can be raging? Um, I guess miles per hour. I don't know, but um, there's times it can be, you know, square foot moving up to seven, eight thousand, ten thousand square feet a second. You know, like it's, it's that's kind of how I look at the charts. There's there's a Minnesota River chart tells you every flow and they rate it by foot per second. So it's, I mean, you can get in some really fast waters, and all it takes is a a break or a
1: seam, and those fish will, they'll be in that current, you know? Do you ever see that um, these fish, I mean, are they, like, located, like, behind some sort of a structure um, other than, like, say, a wing dam or something like that, but, like, say you got a big rock somewhere, are they tucked in behind that rock, just kind of hiding out of that current, and and basically, yeah. what's your approach to those fish if they are?
2: They can can be pretty much anywhere they want, but they're always looking for some obstruction in the current. And it doesn't have to just stop the current dead. It just needs to be a seam, Or like you said, behind a big boulder, they can tuck right up behind that. And there's a little eddy there that those fish don't have to expend any energy while they sit there um that's where i i throw a lot of little bucktails because they come through the current better than big blades and topwaters topwaters will come through that current pretty good and uh, river fish they really i'm a huge topwater guy lakes and rivers i probably throw topwaters more than i'd say 90 percent of people that must fish just because no one seems to ever want to do it. And if I'm casting and everyone's throwing bucktails, top water's my game. Um, but yeah, littler baits tend to run through that current better than any big baits. Little, like, super shad wraps are very good for that. Um, but the bigger the bait, the, the let, you know, that current will take action right away from it, or big blades, you just, you'll wear yourself out trying to burn them through heavy current.
1: Is, is there times where you're using the current just to work the bait? So, in other words, you you cast it out and the current is strong enough that the bait's actually wiggling where you're just hovering in one spot. Do you ever do anything like that? Not usually. There are some areas where, you know, you'll cast up
2: and let your bait come swing down behind some structure and do some things like that. But most, most of the time, those fish are set up, you know... Not so much, say, one big rock out in the middle of the river. A lot of time, I mean, they'll be there sometimes, but they always like to have something adjacent to them, some deeper water. Uh, but with the bait wise, it's basically just bomb and burn. Um, summertime, you can't reel the bucktail fast enough. And I always like to come across current. I know a lot of guys are big on casting up current and bringing it with the current. Um, But from my experience, I just like to be able to cast out. And if there's heavy current, I don't want that bait swinging past me when it comes to the boat where it's doing a U. I like to cast at an angle that I know by the time my bait gets to the boat, it's going to be right at my feet coming straight in. I tend not to let my bait swing or do like a U. Um, I'm very picky with boat positioning. Uh, Jeff knows when when I have my clients in the boat I never fish with them if I very rarely do I fish with my clients I'm so picky about having that boat perfectly positioned in that current to make sure we get every opportunity we can that I think that's the biggest thing about river fishing too that people overlook is you don't want to just be floating down that river as fast as the current casting away. You know, you really have to pinpoint your structures and and keep that boat in the right position to get those strikes.
1: Absolutely. I think that uh, that's not unlike the, the lake side of things either. I mean, boat control really becomes a huge factor. And I think uh, it's overlooked a lot of times, Noah. And I totally agree with what you're saying there. I mean, boat control is the key. It is. That is. That is
2: it. If, if that boat's in the right position and uh, a lot of these fish, a lot of these areas, I can almost know what five casts, 80% of the time are going to get the bite. mean um, that's something you learn with the river too, these fish. They tend to, you know, they're all different fish, but they all tend to go to one little part of, say, an eddy or a seam you're fishing. There's always... Just like a rock pile, you know, it always has its gems on top of it, and uh, the river's no different. Sometimes they'll be spread out anywhere, but uh, most of the times, if a fish is going to be there, they pick, like, the same spot, the same area to sit in.
0: Well, the one thing, too, Noah, you know, with you not fishing is, I know when we fished together, there, were, there was times where you would pay attention to which, you know, where our casts were landing. And because of that whole thing where you know where about where these fish are coming from, you'd be like, hey, somebody, you know, make sure you hit this spot or make sure somebody gets a cast over here. Or, hey, wh- whip that back five feet back from where you were the last time. So, I mean, by you not fishing and focusing really on the boat, it's you, you're doing really everything you can to try to put your clients in the best, the best position to have success that day.
2: Yeah, and I, you know, I've been fortunate enough. I've caught a lot of big fish, caught a lot of fish, and to me, I get more excited watching my clients experience what I have over fishing myself. I mean, last year I I couldn't even tell you if I caught maybe 15 muskies myself. I that's just because I'm guiding so much. I don't I don't get much time to fish myself. But I I love net net. I love watching people catch their first, their biggest. Um, watching people freak out like watching a fish like steve had hit them both side out of nowhere in that chocolate milk water you know it's just a lot of people don't get to experience some of that stuff and i mean they get really excited and that's 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 why i guide it it's not about me being able to fish every day it's about me sharing my experiences with people and watching them get to go go through what i did you know my whole life so
0: Yeah, I won't disagree Um, with that. I think there's a lot of guides out there that are, you know, I think in order to be a guide, you have to kind of have that same mentality that you have. You have to want to just, you know, you have to want to see people catch muskies, you know, whether it be their first, their biggest or whatever, you have to get enjoyment out of that part of it. And I, you know, I think Brad's the same way. And a lot of the other guides that I know of, they're that same way that's, you know, a lot of people want to be a guide because they're like, oh, I get to go fishing every day, but the ones that are truly successful are the ones that always want to make sure that their clients are, are taken care of and they're in the best position to succeed.
2: Yeah, and I, I can definitely tell you running a boat in the river and casting at the same time, the boat control, I mean, I'm pretty good at it because I'm used to dealing with the current and and everything, but it, it definitely changes. The boat control is not as good when I'm running a boat and trying to cast. So sitting back is you know, I enjoy it every minute of it. I like I said, I've been lucky enough to catch fish and I don't have anything against guides that cast and fish there all the time. It's my preference is, you know, if you're gonna pay me for a day on the water, I'm gonna make sure you have every opportunity to catch a fish. Um I I myself I, I'd rather net one than catch one
1: i think I think that's huge, actually, I mean, for a guide that uh operates in that way, it definitely makes a big difference, and I mean, hats off to you, so I'm curious about this. You said that from Grand Rapids to the Twin Cities, you basically are fishing. Is there any stretches in that river that don't maintain fish and and keep fish in that a certain pool?
2: um no, the Mississippi. If I'm all fishing the Mississippi, there's there's fish throughout the whole system. Um, that's the most natural water in Minnesota. Most of the natural lakes are watershed from that river. Um, there is some other rivers that have fish in them too in Minnesota that people really don't know about. But um, for the most part, I do most of my guiding on the Mississippi, and I mean I have miles and miles of river to fish. It's I mean, if you put it all together, it'd be like fish and the There's just, there's so much water. And the thing is, there's, there's the popular sections, you know. I mean, the linders have been fishing and filming up by Brainerd for years. Um, there's uh, a good population of fish there. Some stretches have less of a population, but those fish are still there. Um, and, and our population is a very low population in the Mississippi. It's not loaded with fish. It's, the DNR considers it very low. So that makes it tough, too. And that you know, it's 100% catch and release since 2003. And I think that's been a big help for the river. But no, all, all sections hold fish. Some hold more than others, it seems like. But some stretches are built to where it's super shallow for miles and miles and miles, where there is no deep water and those fish tend not to use that area. So it can seem like there's more fish because they'll congregate into that smaller, deeper section, you know?
1: You're fishing the river like this. Are you going up some of those feeder creeks or feeder rivers that um, are feeding into the Mississippi? Are you, are you checking some of that stuff out as well?
2: Yeah, definitely. I'm an explorer. Like I said, there's, there's more than, part of the one river in Minnesota that holding muskies and, um, you just gotta, you gotta give up your numbers and want to catch fish to go find those. And that's part of my passion is searching out fish that are unfished. Cause let me tell you, when you find them, they eat cause they've never seen nothing, you know? So it's, it's definitely, it's, it's tough and you gotta give up your want to catch fish to explore and find new waters. But, I do it every year. I push myself. When I don't have clients, I go to places I've never been. I try to always add to to my knowledge every year. And new water and um, with all the stocking that's went on in Minnesota with rivers running through them, uh, these fish travel through those rivers too. So all it takes is a little homework, you know, on the computer and looking at maps and you can find new waters. They're not going to have thousands of fish in them, but there's there's going to be fish in them. You just got to go find them.
1: Yeah. You know, are you also exploring other avenues and rivers throughout the state? Yeah. I mean, there's, like I said, there's lots of rivers uh, with fish, the big Little Fork
2: rivers up north. I mean, that's adventure fishing, and there's a lot of rivers connected to the Rainy River that... You know, the Big and Little fork; those are Rainy River Lake of the Wood fish that are inhabiting those rivers. Uh, yeah, that's I've where a- they
1: have to come from. I've actually fished the Little Fork. It's been, man, I don't even know, 13, 14 years. But, you know, it, it is, it's <laughs> it's exploring. It's uh, it's a whole different mentality of fishing. And I, I think it's, it's something that if you're a true musky angler, you need to go out and explore. And I I give you all the credit in the world for doing what you're doing. But uh, it's cool stuff, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I've
2: always been that way. I I like to go on adventures. And, I mean, even, even the Rainy River has got a good population of muskies in it. It's known for its walleyes and sturgeon, but, I mean, it's connected to two of the biggest musky lakes up in northern Minnesota, you know. Um, so those fish, they live in that river too. It's just a matter of, you know, the biggest thing people I see these days is people cannot get outside of their little box. Uh, they learn a lake and that's where they fish and that's the only place they fish. And They know they can catch fish there. They have confidence there. I just have confidence and I guess I'd say myself enough to just go go on these adventures, and if I don't catch fish, I don't catch them. I mean, Mike keys is all about that, you know, his show. A lot of his trips are new new exploring trips for him, and, and that's to me, that's the funnest part about muskie fishing is being able to just get away and go to places no one dares to even travel.
1: I would agree with that, you know, and one of the things about that too is that uh, even when you're not catching fish, you're learning something. So, you know, if you're not catching there, well, guess what? You should probably make some changes. And, and if you put all those things back into your mind, you, you know, it's like we've said all along throughout the whole life of this podcast. It's a puzzle, and you're putting pieces of that puzzle together, and sometimes they don't fit. So you got to yeah. you know, keep things up and do something different. Yeah,
2: I mean, like I said, people, a lot of people don't get to fish as much as I do. I um, mean, don't have the time to explore, and I get that too. But I, I'll sacrifice a weekend of not catching a fish to to go search out something new because when you find that something new, you have it the rest of your life, and it's just another spot you know you can go and find fish. And um, it's yeah, the adventure part of it's my absolute favorite.
0: I think some of my most favorite seasons I ever had were days where, like you said, where I just had adventures. Back in my early muskie days, I didn't have any lakes to go off of. I didn't have anything that I... Like, I didn't have a lot of friends that muskie fish, so I didn't have a lot of resources. And, you know, it was pre-social media, so it seemed like there was less information out there. Muskie First was one website you could go to, and you'd maybe get something, but most of those guys were older guys, and they weren't giving up any information. So I'd literally go to, like, the Badger Sportsman book or the Sportsman Connection book or whatever it was, and I would just... Pick a lake. Okay. I guess that's where I'm driving on Saturday. And then I would, you know, do a little bit of research on stocking and see how many fish were in there, how long ago they stocked it and all that kind of stuff. And we just go fish and see what happened. Sometimes it worked out. Sometimes it didn't, but that was probably some of the most fun fishing I have lately. I might've mentioned it, I don't know, five, six podcasts back, Brad, that I want to do a little bit more of that this upcoming season is just, you know, poke around and, and just explore a little bit. Like Noah, Noah's talking about, I think that stuff's still a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, I, like said, it's it's more about the adventure than than the fish, you know, and I, I still, there's always every year I got to push myself to do it because, you know, when I have a day off, yeah, I might be on a big fish I want to go chase, but I just have more fun just getting out in a way that's, that's what it's about for me. I just, I love to explore and uh, hopefully I can do it for many more years.
1: Let's talk about when you're going to go explore, what is it that you're looking for? I mean, I don't care what body of water, it doesn't matter. But let's uh, tell some of the listeners what you're looking for, what aspects are you trying to find? You know, are you researching a map? Are you researching, what are you doing actually to make that all come together? I do a lot of, you know, time on the internet.
2: A lot of what I do is just Google Earth i look for these stretches uh, google earth can show you a lot of stuff a lot of ripples you can tell how deep some areas are on these little rivers you can find little accesses little bridge points you can get in and then yeah i typically google earth a stretch that i think in my mind looks good and then i go attack it sometimes you get there and you don't even don't even put the boat in water because it's it's just not fishable but Other times you get there and you find these little stretches and you just learn from there, you know, if you go to this place one time and you don't have success, try another stretch. I never tried to do one huge float or drift or trip in one day. I always just pick out a decent sized area because I don't want to just float through everything. I want to really learn that little area before I write it off as something I may or may not come back to.
0: How many trips you got to take to a place before you'd actually say like, okay, I'm not, I'm never going back there without catching a muskie? I mean, obviously we know even on the stretches that you're fishing now, you're not putting a musky in the boat every single day. I'm assuming, I think when I fished with you, we actually did, but you said to us prior to, you know, you're like, it's a low density fishery. We're only hoping to catch maybe one or two fish a day. And, but obviously, so you don't have success every day. How many times are you going to go to a stretch before you're like, yep, I'm not going back to that
2: one again. You know, if I'm fishing a bigger river, it's kind of endless. I'll keep going back and tell something happens because I know they're there. Um, it's it's just a matter of, you know, smaller rivers are easier to give up on because, uh, you know, if the water is real low or it's real high, they're a lot harder to fish than these bigger river systems. But typically... If I'm fishing a big river system and it's new water to me, I keep going back. I find these spots and I keep working them. Like I said, I'm a huge spot jumper. You were with me we traveled. If you could add up the miles we put on in that boat in two days, it's pretty substantial run. And, you know, every time you find a spot and you catch a fish there, you can bet if the water's in that height and that condition will draw these fish to these certain areas so the more spots you find the better it gets um and another thing with the spots they change with the water levels. there's areas fish will only be in when i know it's at a certain level that's when they use that spot when it goes up or down i'll never see a fish there that's another thing you have to pay attention to is the water levels, and when these fish are in those areas, then you know, okay, I got this water level. These spots are going to be good. I can write out some of my other spots that are really good if the water was three feet higher. So it's the water level really dictates what those fish do. And having more spots to fish only creates more opportunity to catch.
0: Well, it's funny you bring up water level because that was one thing I kept thinking in my head I was just curious like how much do these like how much travel do these fish do based off of high water and low low water like how many I mean how much do these spots change how much you know if the water is two feet lower than say you know maybe you were catching fish there a month ago and then the water's two feet lower is are those fish completely out of those spots and and on different stuff and what do you look for differently between high water and low water
2: Sometimes they'll, they'll slide out like a spot can be real good in high water tight up to the banks. You know, when you were with me, we were fishing some of those creeks and some of those eddies um, real tight. As that water drops, sometimes the fish necessarily don't leave that area. They just slide out to where the next little drop off is that. When the high water's there, it would have been raging current. But as the water recedes, those fish sometimes will just bump out off that structure instead of being right up on top of it. Um And but some fish will travel. I I had a incident six years ago. My buddy called me. He snapped his line on a big fish. Somehow his line broke. He had like thirty feet of line out. I actually the following evening snagged his line. And pulled his fish in by hand over a mile and a half away. So that fish overnight swam a mile and a half, just got up and left, you know. I kind of look at the rivers as it's like a highway, and these eddies and these spots they stop are no different than us traveling across the country. You're going to hit your little waysides, your stops to eat. You know, I kind of look at it that way that these fish will travel when they want to. It's nothing for a a fish to swim up or down river 10 miles. I mean, they could easily do that in a day if they wanted to. And, you know, on the river, these fish do that. They move a lot.
0: Is it mostly habitat wise that they're, that they're traveling or is it bait fish that, that they're traveling after? Like, I mean, I'm assuming they're not just traveling for the sake of traveling. I'm guessing. I don't know rivers that well. I have spent some time, but not a ton. So I'm just curious, like, is there a particular reason they're, they're making these migrations?
2: Yeah, I, you know, I wish I could figure that out. But there's definitely fish from tree studies they did. I think this was more back in the 80s on the Mississippi, between Little Falls and Brainerd. And you have some feeder rivers. And some of these fish traveled the whole, all of the river, covered the whole thing in a season. There's a couple other studies in some different areas where I know they had 12 fish tagged. One fish lived within a mile of the dam the whole time it was tagged, never left that area. The other 11 fish would come up to that dam during the spring and spawn, and by winter time, they'd be all the way back down in the reservoir and spend the whole winter down in the reservoir. And periodically through the summer, those fish will just make a run and come up river. you know. Um, the deeper reservoirs, the one reason I, I don't spend much time there anymore And I, I truly believe most of the biggest fish live down in there. It's just, there's so much water for the density of fish. It's really hard to target them. And plus you have your boaters, your jet skiers, um, which makes it even more frustrating. All of a sudden you'll get those fish will make a movement and all of a sudden you'll be on a fish like Steve was. And that fish was, that fish disappeared. I think I seen them one time after that and never seen them again
0: when you mentioned jet skiers pleasure boaters whatever that's one thing that's nice it doesn't seem as though like this the stretch that you fish the majority of your time on i would say is doesn't appear as though you get a lot a lot of that stuff to deal with so that's
2: the benefit of fishing a river for sure yeah there's are definitely areas to get away and you know we talked about dam fishing i it's just not my style i know there's fish there year-round um a lot of big fish get caught at the dams every year i hear about it's my style is just so run and gun, and I like to be to areas I know no one's pressuring, you know. I mean, they do get pressured, but I, I pressure them every day in some of these areas. But um, I like to just get miles away from landings and wherever, you know. Most people, there's always a landing below a dam. Most people will fish from that landing to the dam, and that's both their run, you know. It took me a long time and a lot of wasted hours running these miles of river and not catching anything until I put the puzzle together on where they're doing and what they're at, you know.
0: It's funny you talk about pressure a little bit because I I think back to when I fished with you and how you were like, you know, I don't think we want to go fish over there. I saw one guy fishing there either this morning or last night or whatever it would be. And I, I had to giggle cause like for, you know, me and I'm, I'm assuming it's that way with you, Brad, like that's not pressure to me, but for you, you're like, oh, there was one angler in there fishing. I probably should stay away from that one. So I just, I, that's a, f- a funny story I had
2: from fishing with you. <laughs> I like, uh, I just like being alone. Even if there's people out there, I'll just run way down river and I'll fish new stuff or try something different. I just, I, I don't like fishing around other people
1: you know, it's all relative though, Jeff, you know, you think about it, pressure is a weird thing, and, and when you're fishing some bodies of water that don't have any pressure, and you do see that one or two anglers, I mean, it, it's kind of one of them deals where you just, hey, I want to get out of here, so I I, I totally understand that.
2: Yeah, it's always all I've been to, and I, I respect other fishermen on the water, If if I know some locals that Cause the river, it gets plenty of pressure. It's, it's not, unpressured. Um, there's a lot of guys like me, a lot of locals that fish it. And if I see them out there, I'll, I'll give them that stretch and let them fish it. There's no need. We both need to play hopscotch and, and fish. I have no mind or no problem just heading out of that whole area and letting them be. Because I mean, yeah, for one, I don't want anyone to get mad and I,
1: I respect other fishermen too. Yeah, I think that's that's a positive note, honestly. I mean, in today's world, especially this past season, you know, where people were, there was more fishermen than ever. And so, you know, it, it got kind of challenging that, you know, you pick up from one spot, you try to go to a different spot, and guess what, there's boats on it. Well, okay, we'll go to the next spot. You get to that spot, and there's more boats on that one. So it became challenging this past season, honestly, and, you got to the point where I told Carrie, I said, I don't even want to fish a Saturday because these Saturdays were so loaded with people with the excess and on the water. I was just like, man, what am I even doing? You know, it it was insane.
2: He said that, but then he Saturday rolled around and he couldn't help himself and (laughs) went anyway.
1: Yeah. I've been that way too. Hard to sit at home. Hey, it's hard to catch him from the couch. We always say that, but that's the truth.
0: Yes, it is. We don't. We don't always say that. You always say that.
2: It's true, Jeff. You can't catch them from the couch.
0: It's true. I've never once caught one from the couch. I don't think <laughs> I might.
1: I might just have to put a couch on the front deck this year. That might make sense. You know, yeah, that right. would be funny.
0: I will say I don't know if I've said this be- this story before, but I have caught one off of a couch in one of the river sections I was fishing up by the Wisconsin river a long time ago, there was a, literally somebody had a couch in the river. I don't know how it got there. Cause it's not like it was that close to anything. I, I don't have any idea how it got there, but it was there. And I've literally casted behind the couch and I've caught a muskie on it. We actually used to call the spot. Hey, let's go fish over by the couch.
1: That's awesome. That sounds like you're fishing cave run down in Kentucky. You know, you're you fishing a school bus, um, a TV, maybe a freezer or something like that. But yeah, I mean, all those things can be structured at one point in time.
0: Well, I haven't been up to the spot, and I don't even know how many years. I'm guessing it's eight, ten years, maybe. So I don't even know if it exists anymore. I'm hoping to maybe go check it out this this uh, upcoming season and see if it's still there. At least I'll re- I'll have the memories of catching a fish off the couch at one point, whether the couch is is intact or not. I'm assuming it's not. It's been out in the weather in the water for ten years, so I'm guessing it's gone. But you know, whatever. It's still it's still a fun story.
1: Yeah, you got to love
0: that. That's awesome. <laughs> All right, Noah. Well, we really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule. I know we've tried to, you know, get this lined up for, like I said, probably almost since the beginning of the podcast, because I've obviously known you, you know, through the Wisconsin Muskie Expo was probably where I first met you. And then obviously I've always wanted to fish with you and finally got to have that happen a while back. So thanks for coming on the podcast for anybody that's looking to get in touch with you to either you know book a trip or potentially get one of your bucktails or your, your fly bucktails or whatever, the new bait that you got, the hot bait. I know all the guys have been dying to get those things. Uh, how do they go about doing that?
2: Um, I have a Get the Net Guide Service and Tackle page on Facebook. Um, that's where most of my contact comes through. I do not have a website anymore. So you can go on there. It's got my phone number on it. You can email me at GetTheNet. 619 at yahoo.com and yeah get a hold of me through facebook my phone number's in there or email me and i can
1: definitely uh get you out on the water that's good stuff um are you on instagram as well noah no i am not good for you
2: (laughs) (laughs) i can only handle one social media platform
1: well i've never done facebook i'm on instagram so that's why I was curious. You know, it, it's funny. It's a common um, theme. A lot of musky guys are not. They don't have a website anymore. So, it's either Instagram or it's Facebook. One or the other. But uh, yeah, I want to. I want to personally thank you. And I know uh, Carrie and I enjoyed this a ton. And we appreciate you coming on for sure. Well, yeah. Thanks to all three of you for
2: having me on.
0: So we just want to thank the listeners for coming out, checking out another episode of our podcast. If you're interested in NOAA, check out Get the Net Guide Service on Facebook. And uh, once again, we just want to thank everybody for listening, and we'll catch you all next week.
1: All right.
2: You guys have a good night.